You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Vore, and I'm one of your hosts. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Hey, Holly. Hey, Robert. On today's episode, we talk with Dr. Brianna Garrison and Dr. Dennis Myers about dementia, how faith communities can engage individuals living with dementia, and how we can care for the people providing care for those individuals, the the caregivers, Mm -hmm. uh, which is an element that might get lost. And uh, the phrasing there was kind of confusing, but that's okay. But first, Mm -hmm. Holly, how are you this week? I'm doing well. It is beautiful outside. Texas weather is nice. We are in the last stretch of the semester, and so I feel like there is light at the end of the tunnel of grading and all the things. Um, and we're getting ready for some Thanksgiving gatherings with our family and loved ones. So, yeah, yeah I'm 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 feeling pretty good. What about you? How are you doing? Yeah, doing well. Same, a lot of the same stuff. Uh, just enjoying the cooler weather and, and looking forward to Thanksgiving things and all of that. Obviously, as mm. as safely as possible because uh, we're yes. not, you know in a post pandemic anything. We're, no, we're all still navigating right. that, especially with with young kids. But uh, looking forward yeah. to that. I know that last year or the year before or something. I know previously we have talked about Thanksgiving related questions. So I think I'll hold yes. off on that. I think we had a I think we had a debate. There was a, a fracture yes, in our relationship last year <laughs> where I was on Corey's side of of something. Mm-hmm. Um probably I remember exactly like what that. it is. I remember yeah, it was stuffing. Ooh, okay. That's right. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. But we won't we won't revisit old uh old wounds there. <laughs> Uh, but I did I did want to ask as my, my segue question, mm-hmm. what is the most maybe interesting or, or unique way that someone has ever cared for you? Ooh. Oh, Fred, you need to like prepare me for some of these questions. Um, I almost, before... can I tell you when I thought of the question earlier, I thought uh-huh. I'll, I'll go ahead and text that to Holly so she can think about it. And then immediately you forgot. did it. So yes, that's go. right. You did it. But you know, that's okay. Flew right today's... out of my head. Yeah. <laughs> this one's tricky, but I'm going to go with the first thing that came to mind. I think I've been surprised by the ways that like, so as a mom, I'm I'm really grateful for the ways in which I get to, you know, care for and serve and love and teach and help mold and shape my kiddos um, and who they are becoming. Um, But I think, I think thinking about the ways that my kids have unexpectedly like done these like sweet little innocent ways of trying to care for me um, are like the first thing that come to mind. So like Hmm. thinking about little ways that, you know, they, you know, like my daughter just last night, like she was helping my husband make dinner and, and it was because, you know, I, um, was running a little bit later into the evening with, with some work stuff. And so, you know, she is just like beaming over like, look, I made dinner for everyone. And, (laughs) and the ways that she does that type of care or the ways that like she or Oliver will, um, like draw pictures for my office or, you know, bring me their stuffies. Actually, that's going to be the one I'm going to stick with. So like when I was going through like, um, when I'm going through like some of the thick of the writing and editing that I do, um, there have been times that Callie and Oliver will come into my office and like the way that they care for me is like bringing in their little stuffies, like their little stuffed animals um, with them. Mm And they'll put them like right next to my computer so that um, they'll keep me company while I'm writing. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I mean, I I can't, your question was too spur of the moment for me to like think through that anymore. But I would say (laughs) that the ways that my kids have like unexpectedly cared for me are like, again, like the first things that come to mind. So, yeah. No, I love yeah. that. It's so what sweet. about? Yeah. Thank you. I think so too. But I, I think they're both kind of sweet kiddos. I love them a whole <laughs> lot. So yeah. But what about you? I want to hear your answer. And I'm assuming you've had a little bit more time to think about this one. So maybe you. I have, you have not a response. because, as I mentioned, <laughs> it flew right out of my head. I immediately that's forgot right. until we <laughs> until I pressed record. So okay. um, I haven't really. But that's okay. I think. 
You know, it's interesting those kind of maybe we would say small things, kind of like what mm-hmm. you're talking about, right? It's not it's not like a massive gesture where like somebody paid for a new car for me or whatever, right? Like although mm-hmm. that would obviously be cool, but these small things kind of along the way, I think are are and again I'm using small in like not, you know, in right not in not in like the impact they have on 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 you right but right right so, right right um those like everyday type things right yeah and yeah. i think things like that well i can I'll, I'll even give an example that is uh relevant to to kind of the season uh-huh. uh which uh since i'm gonna edit a huge chunk of me thinking out <laughs> i'll mm-hmm. give you credit for reminding me of this hmm. because that seems only fair but so Publix has if listeners depending on where you live if you have a Publix you should pause this episode and go get this um but at the end of which each year which is a grocery release, store by the way yes, right sure, okay yes <laughs> correct um they release peppermint stick ice cream and they mm. only release it at the end of the year and it's like it's i mean it's so good but it also now has this kind of like nostalgic aspect to it because for some reason like in my family it has become the like official you know oh, now the holidays are kind of starting type of, like it just holds this mm-hmm. this weird weight of like, yes, now this is out. And that's like, it's so it's so special. Um, yeah. So last week sometime, uh, Brooke was was doing some shopping. I don't know what she was at Publix for. Oh, she got her, her booster vaccine. Um, oh. But she was, at, she was at Publix and uh, came home and I had had a pretty long day. I think it was the day after I had had the kids for a long time and, and things like mm-hmm. that. And so um, had had a pretty full couple of days and she brought that home. And I, I honestly, every year I forget because obviously that's a huge long time and I usually just forget that it exists until somebody mm-hmm. mentions it again. Um, and we don't even usually shop at Publix. So it's not like I see it randomly, but she brought it home knowing that that was going to like, I, I can't explain how excited. I mean, I texted you and Sarah uh, Robinson. I like, know. Pictures oh, of it, right? right. I was like, I got so excited, uh, and we've talked about how much I, I enjoy the the holiday season and, and kind of mm-hmm. the, the feelings that that brings. And so um, that was cool. It was a, a cool way, kind of a, a nice surprise, and a thing. You know, obviously, bringing home ice cream is nice anyway. I, mm-hmm. I love desserts, but her knowing that that I mean, she had to go to the ice cream aisle. I'm assuming to find that, so she thought of it and went and got it and, and brought it home for us. So we've been enjoying that the last couple nights and it won't last nearly as long as it, it should so I'll have to go grab some more um, but then I'll mail you some thank you yeah I know I had joked with you and Sarah that I'm about to get in the car and just drive out there from Texas but you know I hey maybe. I think I extended this offer and I'll repeat it here on air where everyone can hear if you take a plane or whatever if you make your way all the way to Atlanta to come visit I will buy you a pint of ice cream that's a fair I commit it. Super commit fair trade on air. Yes. I love it. I love it. Y'all yeah. get ready. I'm going to yeah. hold them to it. <laughs> yeah. um, no, that's awesome. I really love though how, you know, just like hearing that example, especially just it's such a, you know, it is an unexpected way of like caregiving and, and like caregiving, like it has this wide spectrum of ways in which we show up to care for others and engage in caregiving. But I really love that example that you offer just, you know, Brooke thinking that like, Hey, she knew that you love this type of ice cream and it's the time of year where it's being sold. So she picked it up for you. It just like lifted your spirits with it. So yeah, I love that. Yeah. Well, to segue, right, if it's not uh, kind of painfully obvious in the amount of times that we just talked about caring and things like that, but Mm -hmm. I mentioned right up top that we talk with Dr. Brianna Garrison and Dr. Dennis Myers, uh, obviously about dementia, Alzheimer's, all those things about individuals who are living with that, how faith communities can engage, uh, things like that, right? Um, but then also this is mm-hmm. added element, and I, I'll I'll shout you out here because you're you're the one that like prepped this, having mm-hmm. thought through this added element of also how do we care for the caregivers? Because I think that yeah. that can be an element that we maybe that doesn't come top of mind in in a lot of areas, right? So we'll kind of get into it. Yeah. Well, here's our episode, our interview. I always say our episode. Uh, Here's our interview (laughs) with Dr. Brianna Garrison and Dr. Dennis Myers. All right. Enjoy, y'all. Today, we are so excited to have Dr. Dennis Myers and Dr. Brianna, Brianna Garrison joining us today. Dr. Myers is a professor and the Danny and Len Prince Chair at Baylor University's Garland School of Social Work. 
He is one of Baylor's outstanding teachers, and he's earned um, over a, a one and a half million dollars in grant funding for a wide variety of research topics. And he oversees our school's uh, gerontology initiative. Dr. Myers has written over 70 academic journal articles and chapters on a number of topics related to social work practice, um, at-risk older persons, persons with uh, living with dementia, faith-based community services, and more. We also have Dr. Brianna Garrison joining us today as well. Dr. Garrison is a licensed clinical social worker and an assistant professor of social work at Southern Connecticut State University. She received her undergraduate degree from Texas Tech University, her MSW at the University of Houston, where she and I actually were in the same cohort together, and her PhD in social work from Baylor University. Her research interests include um, caregivers of persons living with dementia, faith communities as a social connection space for caregivers, uh, gerontology, health disparities, mental health for older adults, and more. Dr. Garrison and Dr. Myers, we are so excited to have you here with us today. Yeah. Thank you. It's so Thank great you. to be here. Awesome. Well, I'm so, so grateful for both of you and your presence and the good work that you do. Um, is there anything that um, either of you would like to add? Anything that I missed in your bio? Uh, no, I don't think so from my, from my part. I don't think so either. Awesome. Well, and again, I'm just so, so grateful to have you both here, and um, we are really excited to dive into today's conversation. Yeah. So just to um, kind of set the stage, I know both of you have a heart for doing uh, research with and better understanding various various areas and topics related to gerontology, and especially when it comes to persons living with dementia and their caregivers. Before we dive into some of that, do you mind, uh, Dr. Myers, I'm going to ask you to go first on this one. Do you mind telling us a little bit about dementia, maybe a little bit about Alzheimer's disease more specifically, and what the prevalence is uh, in the United States? Sure. Uh, well, the estimates are there are about 5.8 million Americans living with dementia. But that's a little deceptive because in past times we would use uh symptoms that the person would uh, display and use that for our marker. But now we have some actual actual biological markers that in some ways reduces the number of persons living with Alzheimer's per se, but also raises the number of persons living with other kinds of dementias. So we can say roughly 5.8 million, about every 6.5 seconds, someone develops dementia. By 2050, we'll have about 14 million persons, assuming we don't have a cure by then, which is the, the deep desire of all of our hearts. And of course, we're talking maybe 16 million care caregivers. This is, this is a pervasive, mm -hmm. devastating illness that uh, will continue to grow until we can find that uh, cure, particularly since we're talking about the baby boomers, persons my age that are uh, now... Uh, populating in the later times of life and are at risk for this, uh, for this particular disease. Yeah. Brianna, is there anything you'd like to add to that? Yeah. I mean, I think looking at dementia, I mean, one of the things that I think is really important to understand is that it's a progressive illness, right? So it's, it's not where everything changes all of a sudden for most individuals, and so sometimes there's a delay in diagnosis. So, you know, when, when Dr. Myers talks about, you know, these are our estimated numbers, we have to look at there's low reporting from primary care doctors. So most of the research data that we have are people that are resourced enough to go to specialists and have that documented. So generally, there are going to be a lot more people in the community that are living with dementia and just don't have a title for it. I think that's important to consider when we think about the community impact and community resources and programs, you know, that um, sometimes our communities are the best helpers in identifying risk factors because primary care visits are short and sweet. Um, and often for older adults are just about medications and, and not really examining changes in the last year. So I think, yeah, 
it's so important. This, this disease is really a loss of personhood. Of all the diseases, this particular one is, is so difficult for family members because a person is physically present but psychologically absent. And that ambiguity mm-hmm. uh, creates some major concerns for caregivers and, tr- and for churches and for communities and for professionals and trying to understand the behavior and trying to find some ways to respond effectively. Uh, Dr. Uh, uh, William Osler, colleague of ours, says it this way. He says it's important to know what, what disease a person has, but it is more important to know the person the disease has. So the person-centered mm-hmm. perspective is so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've definitely really appreciated that person-centered focus that y'all have really woven into the work that you do and the ways that you talk about this in general. And so I appreciate you elevating that just there, Dr. Myers. I've, I've really, so, so just a little bit about the backstory too, um, perhaps behind this particular episode. Um, I know Dr. Myers was Dr. Garrison's chair for her dissertation. Um, and I had the privilege of getting to, to sit on the dissertation as a committee member. And so just for our listeners to know, I've, I've, it's really been a joy to get to learn about this area of research from the this like front row seat that I've gotten to experience and watch uh, Brianna study this and to t- listen to Dr. Myers talk about this um, over the last several years. Like it's, there's so much that I've learned from the both of you as colleagues. And for that, I am deeply grateful. One of the things that I have learned from the both of you about your work is around how vital caregivers are for older adults in general, but especially those who are living with dementia, as y'all were just noting a moment ago. I remember um, being pretty surprised by the degree to which these caregivers are providing such a huge proportion of care for these older adults. Mm. And so I'd, I'd love to focus on that um, specifically for a moment. Can y'all talk a little bit and tell us a little bit more about the prevalence of caregivers and the role that they have in the fabric of our society? And this time I'll, I'll ask Dr. Garrison to start us off with this one. Yeah. I mean, what I can say is that caregivers... I mean, just in general in America, caregivers are the backbone of our society, whether it is parents Mm -hmm. taking care of their children or caregivers taking care of aging spouses and parents, that the amount of unpaid, unrecognized labor and support that caregivers offer, I mean, it's almost unquantifiable um, just how Mm. much they take on. And when you think about a caregiver for a person living with dementia, you know, they're, they're managing the whole spectrum of, you know, finances and medical decisions, medical terminology, medical advocacy, physical changes, emotional changes, right? Because they're, is fear and anxiety and depression that comes with not being able to access your memories um, or not being able to do skills that you've been able to do for 60, 70, 80, 90 years. Mm. While they're also experiencing their own emotional loss and connection and intimacy with this individual, it's a big ask. And many caregivers, you know, despite all the hardship will tell you all the things that they love about being a caregiver, the time that they get with their loved one. So I, I don't want that to negate the the love and respect and dignity that caregivers offer. But the reality is it's a really stressful role that there's not a lot of outside support for unless you've done it or worked around it, you know, just comprehending the amount of cognitive load that you're taking on for another person, the physical labor, even, you know, as Dennis mentioned earlier, you know, as people experience cognitive changes or cognitive loss, the caregiver is having to kind of shift the way that they communicate, right? The the Mm -hmm. normal way that they could connect with their loved one or ask questions, all of that shifts, you know, it's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah. 
Dr. Myers, is there anything is there anything that you'd add to that, Dr. Myers? Well, Brianna really really says it well. Uh, there are clear health implications for caregivers that are documented in the search around uh, illness, around uh, depression. So the the impact on the caregiver is is real and not it's certainly emotional, but it extends beyond that. So that kind of pervasive effect is something that I'm so glad professionals, churches, uh, all of it are involved are trying to come alongside caregivers in this way. It's really a difficult process when the person you love so much, been part, so much a part of your life, no longer recognizes you. In fact, maybe may actually frightened of you because you appear to be a stranger mm-hmm. that shows up in their lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the other hand, the thing that Brianna said is so important to, to understand how faith develops in this kind of context and how caregivers frame this in a way of paying back and honoring commitments and in long-term relationships, uh, just inspirational. I think that's probably one of the reasons we like to show up in this space because of the kind of stories yeah. and narratives that, that, that declare aloud, yes, this is hard, but also this is what I'm called to do. Mm, for sure. Mm. Yeah. That's good. So either one, I guess I'll, uh, I guess maybe we'll throw it back to Dr. Myers and just to go in the opposite direction this time. But I think a lot of folks listening may have kind of a general idea of Alzheimer's or dementia, right? But could, could y'all give us uh, maybe some of the, the common experiences or things like that for those that may be living with dementia, uh, as well as maybe the impact of that on, on the caregiver? Well, we're talking about impairment of memory, obviously. Uh, as a person loses that sense. And it's really hard for people who've had great memories to experience just, there's just normal cognitive loss. We all lose to some extent our memory cells. And so one of the things we encounter in our area is the reassurance of people that the memory loss they're experiencing may be simply the, the fact of just growing older. But it certainly gets more serious than that the impairment of one's intellect, the ability to, to make abstract kind of conclusions about things comes to play. Certainly disorientation, not being aware of person, place, and time shows up. There's usually an emotive factor that comes alongside, uh, maybe suspiciousness or maybe depression, and uh, a, real, a real sense of uh, losing connection. And so you find people that blame others for for, for things that are missing or for occurrences such as leaving the stove on. And we understand that to be a way of survival because uh, if it's not someone else, then it must be me. And that's pretty devastating to understand what's happening to me in that, in that regard. So, so there are some definite uh, changes that occur and people uh, who used to be able to do the checkbook are, are no longer able to, or you, you drive along and you, don't know how to find your way home again. And so you want to cover up for that. You want to deny it. it must be some other reason for this. But then there comes a time when uh, you're faced with a, with a rally. Hey, I can't do what I used to do. And there's something going on here. And, and I'm scared to death. Hmm. Yeah. The interesting thing about symptoms is there is a period of time, right, where a lot of individuals experiencing cognitive changes are trying to decide, is this a normal part of aging or is there something else going on? And there's such an important window then, right? Because a lot of, you know, any of the medications that are approved right now or clinical trials that are out there are really just for that period, that very early period. Mm. And, and most live in denial during that time and and might miss that window. But you do see this progression of like um, executive decision changes, physical symptom changes, right? It it can impair walking and um, mobility, the ability to understand, you know, buttons, like just tasks that require multiple steps and kind of flipping shapes in ways that we do so naturally that, you know, we're not thinking about how our brain does that function, reading clocks. And the thing that is the hardest, I think, about the symptoms, the day-to-day symptoms of dementia is that there's not a, there's not a certain level that you get to and it all stops. It it all progresses. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm. 
Well, I really hmm. appreciate the both of you and, and the ways that you were able to kind of unpack that. Um, just as we think about, because as, as Dr. Myers was mentioning, you know, we have this aging baby boomer generation that is growing older and, you know, how to best navigate the various ways to care for these individuals and their caregivers is just so important. And it's so relevant for right now. It's not a, a down the road one day. Like we need to be thinking about caring for this population now mm-hmm. very intentionally. With that, I know that a big heartbeat of the work that you both have been involved in has been looking at the ways that faith communities and congregations are stepping in to support uh, not only those living with dementia, but the caregivers as well. And so I'd love for you to talk a little bit about, you know, maybe first we'll start with why is this relevant for faith communities and congregations and what does a dementia-friendly congregation look like? I'm pausing here because Dr. Garrison has done some really good work in this area, and I, I just would mm. rather, rather, uh, Dr. Garrison, you, you perhaps start with this one if, if you're okay with it. Yeah. I mean, so one of the things that when we think about why faith communities are important, there are a couple of aspects that make that connection so vital. The first is when you look at trusted sources of information, most older adults would say their faith community. They trust the leadership, Mm. the ethics of those that are connected to their faith community. So if they're going to seek an opinion or a referral, you know, they're going to trust the vetted referral and opinion of someone from their faith community. And so that means that if our faith communities don't know about the resources, the signs and symptoms, then they're missing an opportunity to be an earnest referral source for those individuals Mm. experiencing this issue. The other aspect is when how we set up our faith communities for the duration of our life is kind of that backbone structure of celebration of the place that we go for healing and comfort. If we lose someone, you know, your faith community brings you food and you have um, ceremonies and rituals that kind of identify markers of all of those events in your life. And so when you think about an institution that you're connected to and have this emotional connection and support from, often it's faith communities that have been the ones that celebrate the marriages and babies and, you know, all of those milestones. And so they've woven their way into being a priority place in people's lives. And what you hear from caregivers is how much anxiety and fear and isolation that can come when a loved one is diagnosed with dementia and that place of connection is harder to get to, whether it's because of physical barriers or um, the shame uh, that, that keeps people from connecting or the lack of understanding about the disease. And so when caregivers pull away from their faith communities, they're experiencing this loss with their loved one, but they're also experiencing the loss from a primary source of social connection and support. Mm. So, you know, for me, when I was thinking about, and and from my clinical practice, when I've been working with older adults and caregivers who have been impacted by dementia, you know, the faith community really became this central place of, okay, we've, we've got to educate and inform the signs and symptoms so that we can, you know, have better options for referral sources if they're not getting it at primary care and church is the only other place they go, or if all their friends are Mm -hmm. from faith communities, you know, that, that is really important. 
But the other aspect was we really need people that are cognizant and thinking about there are people in my congregation that are experiencing dementia. There are people in my congregation that are caring for someone with dementia. And that is a big deal. And it matters that we care about that and invest in supporting and loving our people through this as well. Yeah. And so I think we have some really good examples of faith institutions that are responding to that knowledge in great ways. I think from having inside leaders like Dr. Myers who are giving creative ideas for programming, but we have mm-hmm. so many faith communities that aren't doing anything, you know? So to yeah. me, I, I want to have this conversation as much as I can because I really want to see our communities respond in ways that are inclusive and loving and welcoming for all stages of life and for all the experiences that one goes through, even if it's a long-term progressive chronic illness. Yeah, that's yeah. good. I feel like you you started to touch on some of the the next question that we had, like it was all folded right in there. So that was great. So not to you on that one, Dr. Garrison. Um, Dr. Myers, is there anything else that you would add to what Dr. Garrison had mentioned? Or would you like to share some of the examples of what you're doing um, within some of our local uh, faith communities? I think both of those. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, Good. uh, (laughs) Dr. Dan Blazer is a a colleague that does a lot of research in Mm -hmm. in the intersect of mental health and faith. And I think he says it really well. I like to quote him. He says, those who bear the marks of dementia in their bodies need a community that bears the world's only sure hope in its body. They need Mm -hmm. communities that rehearse this hope again and again and delight in their shared foretaste of God's promise world to come. So I think Dr. Mm-hmm. Blazer hits it right there. Uh, this is not a foreign uh, matter for the church. Uh, the church has always entered and embraced persons of all kind of uh, strangeness, uh, particularly in rural areas. And I think we're trying to replicate some of that. I, I've, uh, Brianna, I've note for all, both noticed just naturally without having to t- intentionally do things, what I call a ministry of friendship will emerge where if a person's in a choir, for example, that is a person living with dementia, not sure where the choir room is, not sure what, what uh, where the hymnal is or what they're singing, a person will come alongside and show them to the choir room and, and just be that assistant to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see it uh, in, in, in Sunday school classes and life groups where some will, sh- will just sort of pop up. Well, I think we need to fan the flame of the sort of naturally occurring uh, inclination to want to be helpful. Uh, but there are some intentional things that need to be done. And uh, one thing is just sort of communicating with, in this case, these smaller group contacts within congregations, such as Sunday school classes or life groups, or whatever the term is, to understand uh, a little bit more about the disease itself and understand uh, if you keep asking the person if they know who you are, that's, that's pretty, uh, pretty hard on a person. And so different ways of communicating, uh, kind of create that dementia friendliness that we're, that we're really seeking. Brianna said it well, education in a larger sense, uh, through sort of discipleship times where this becomes a topic of conversation. And we kind of, I I love it when we, when we celebrate caregivers, when there's Mm -hmm. an intentional, uh, action within a congregation to recognize, uh, this vocation that comes to air, most every families and uh, what a wonderful place to recognize and bless as it were. Some churches will actually uh, have a kind of uh, uh, a blessing that occurs uh, for persons mm. in the role there. So those are just some, some thoughts that I had, but uh, uh, Brianna really, uh, really hit it, really expressed it well, I think. Yeah. And you uh, you segued nicely into our next question. Are y'all in our show doc with the questions? I know, right? You're segueing perfectly. It's great. I love um, it. So that was you right there. You started to mention uh, churches celebrating caregivers and things or faith communities, right? Um, and I, I that was our kind of our next question, right? Are 
from some of the research that y'all have done, maybe what caregivers are saying about their experience with their faith communities, the things that they need from their faith communities, what's helpful, things like that uh, for for faith communities to come alongside and support the the caregivers. Yeah. So from from my interviews with caregivers, what caregivers want is to be remembered and included. You know, they want to talk about their experiences, but also they spend so much of their time focused on someone else. I think it, it's really great to also be honored and recognized for the, the work that you're doing. But some of the major things that caregivers mentioned were having a community that, that talks about dementia, that, that knows about it, that speaks about it, um, maybe even has support services. Faith communities that think about the barriers, the physical barriers to attending their faith community, mm-hmm. you know, as their loved one ages, you know, having large print programs, having music only programs where their loved one can can go and and be a part of the community, not to be separated, you know, caregiver, you know, gender inclusive bathrooms where the caregiver can go in with someone so that they're not sending their loved one into a stall when they might need assistance. Mm-hmm. Things that are you know, those physical things that we might not think about that are, that are barriers, easy access to parking, or maybe even valet parking, you know, things that, that kind of reduce the limitations to being pulled apart. But even when they are, I think having options, you know, from COVID, you know, we've had so much taken away from us when it comes to community connection, but I had several caregivers that talked about the creative ways that their congregation or faith community work to reach their members and how they were able to participate for the first time in years in things like communion because they made communion drive through. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I remember you talking about that in your defense and I was like, Oh my gosh, I, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And yeah. it's just, you know, some places have home visit communion, but not a lot of places do or think about that or assume if you're not here and attending that you don't want to be here. And that's not always true. You know, those rituals and those ceremonies that unite you with your faith community are so important. And so thinking out of the box, you know, I, those types of programs are really important. But I think also just making the effort. Many of our caregivers that even if their faith community had, you know, a person that they, that they knew in their community that was, that had experience with being a caregiver that they could connect them to, that felt really big. If they brought a meal to them, you know, those acts that may seem small to us really showed genuine care and concern to caregivers. And like Dr. Myers mentioned earlier, that's the the heartbeat and the the call, you know that that these faith communities are are wrapped up in. Right? There's this scripture that talks about they'll know us by our love. Right? If we love one another, mm. a faith community will be recognized as a follower if they if they are loving and welcoming. And I think that that also needs to apply to those that are aging and experiencing dementia and caring for those that are living with dementia. That's really good. That's helpful. Dr. Myers, would you add anything else to what Dr. Garrison shared? Well, yes. I think it's in our nature in a faith community to think of hope and think of contribution. Just because one's living with dementia doesn't mean you can't still contribute. And with mm-hmm. some intentionality, finding mm-hmm. ways for the, because that that felt sense of of not contributing, not participating, particularly if that's been a part of the person's narrative, uh, I think becomes our concern. And thinking of ways that this person might continue to hold on to a sense of of contributing of ministry uh, themselves, and so that's 
that's one thing I think that distracts me is important. Kind of focusing on what's left, not what's lost, uh, mm. becomes becomes yeah. important uh, there. I think mm. uh, for sure. Yeah. Just uh, it, it's worship. For example, we in in our work, uh, we've had caregivers tell us about how they've been asked to, to not bring their loved one to worship because the behavior was such that the, oh, the, the person thought that that behavior was so disruptive or, or maybe you don't come to the, the, the gathering life group or whatever it would be called because the person is acting inappropriately. And, and that's the, not what we want to hear. And what we want to hear about is words of accommodation and understanding in those kind of contexts. Uh, it's hard enough on the caregiver to navigate as Brandon was saying, this whole separateness, Mm-hmm. And then to have the congregation mm-hmm. itself be somewhat rejecting has been uh, discouraging. Another thing I would say is important to faith and how faith can develop in the life of the caregiver as a result of this experience. And to have opportunity to talk about what uh, uh, their object of their faith is doing in their lives in transforming them as part of this process and making that intentional as part of their conversation. Sometimes for the good, sometimes for the not so good. But the point is, faith continues to be at play, maybe more significantly than ever, as a person Mm -hmm. tries to make sense of the ambiguity they're experiencing. So Mm -hmm. intentionality around what's happening with faith in the life of the caregiver as well, I would add. You know, as both of y'all were talking, I was thinking about a book that I read in my MSW program there was a class I took on spirituality and aging from the beloved Andy Ackenbaum. And um, he had us read a book that was called No Act of Love is Ever Wasted, The Spirituality of Caring for Persons with Dementia that I'd I'd love to, we'll we'll include it in the show notes for folks to look into. Yeah. But both of what y'all are saying around like to Dr. Garrison, how you were mentioning this, you know, they will know us by our love. Um, And Dr. Myers with what you were just talking about with regards to being inclusive of and you know remembering to 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 bring those who do have dementia alongside and and create space for them to continue to contribute and give to the community and how important that is um it just made me think of that book which i am certain that you both are well familiar with that book so anyways we'll be sure to include it in the in the show notes for this conversation but i just wanted to add a little nod to that and how well it just echoes what both of you are saying based on this this research that y'all have done. So good, yeah, yeah that's great. Yeah, so our our audience of of the show tends to be uh, individuals or faith leaders, and I think we've we've covered some of that. Uh, but we also have a chunk of of mental health care providers that listen. So I'm curious uh, from that perspective, right? How how mental health care providers can better support caregivers or the areas of faith for the caregivers or for the the persons living with dementia, uh, either of those, whichever of you has has thoughts first, feel free to jump in. (laughs) Well, I'll jump in with with Pauline Boss's book, B-O-S-S, called Loving Someone Who Has Dementia. The author shows up in big ways because she understands the ambiguous loss, ambiguous presence that's at play in the relationship. And then how one deals with that uh, contradiction, that ambiguity. And I found that to be really helpful. The other thing is the, there is a uh, occupational therapist whose name is Tipa, T-E-E-P-A Snow, who has a wealth of practical aids for caregivers in terms of how to respond to the various stages. And in fact, has created something called the, the GEMS, G-E-M-S, as in gemstones, to give us a sense of what's going on across the stages of dementia. And so the positive approach to care, or TIPA Snow, is a, just has a wealth of resources I would recommend for, for professionals to help to know how to help caregivers, specifically with, with, na- with navigating this space. Yeah, that's great. I, I would say, you know, for mental health professionals, especially if they're working in interdisciplinary fields like primary care, medical social work, hospitals, you know, those type of things, it's really, really important to check in on the caregiver because many caregivers skip their own doctor's visits 
And so there, there isn't really a primary person checking on their physical and mental health. And so that's really important to note. The other thing is, you know, for, for mental health professionals, I, I tell my students, uh, my master's of social work and doctoral students, we think gerontology um, in the field of gerontology is reserved just for those that are focused on working with older adults directly. But in any field that you work in, you're going to encounter older adults. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you work That's with right. children, grandparents are the primary kinship provider and foster and adoption. There are so many different realms of practice that involve older adults that it is worthwhile to invest CEU credits or time and energy to make sure that you understand at least the preliminary, you know, signs and symptoms of dementia to understand a small snippet of what caregivers manage. So if you have a, you know, a grandparent who's a foster parent, they could also be caring for this grandchild and caring for their aging spouse who has dementia. Mm-hmm. You know, that, mm-hmm. that is a, an actual scenario I have been in as a clinical social worker. And so it's important for us to understand those resources and referral points, but also doing good screening, asking good questions. You know, mm-hmm. when we think about the intersection of faith and mental health, it's getting better but there's still so many general assessments that don't include any kind of connection or questions about faith community. And there's a whole slew of resources for hope and positivity that can be lost, but there's also um, grief and loss with caregivers that could be lost if you're not asking those questions too. So I think it's important for the whole spectrum of, the caregiver's well-being for us to really think about what role does a faith community have for this individual and and making sure you understand it so that you can serve them well. So those are just, you know, one snippet yeah. of the snow the soapbox I would get on, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it's no, I it's think a good soapbox. Great points. Yeah. It's, good, it's, it's important. important. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, one thing that we love to ask folks when they come on, uh, obviously both of you have have spent a lot of time and energy doing this good work and and continue to do so, right? And so uh, I'd love to hear from uh, from both of y'all uh, and I guess we can start we can start with Dr. Garrison and then go to Dr. Myers. What what's your hope for this work as you're doing it for years and years and all that, right? Like what's what's your I guess your hope as you continue to to move forwards doing this work? Yeah, I think my I mean my big dream, my my moonshot would be we find a cure for dementia and it's no longer a top 10 mm. reason that older adults are dying. So that would be my moonshot. But the the smaller step would be that we we have widespread inclusive faith communities and that consider aging an important part of their programming resources and time and education so that as individuals age, they have a safe place to be connected to others, be connected to God and could live better with the heaviness that they experience. That would be amazing. Well, I think for me, I think several aspirations the person living with dementia has so much to teach all of us mm-hmm. as individuals, as in our intimate partner relationships and within our congregations. So in my view, God has placed this opportunity in at our doorstep to teach us about inclusivity, to teach us about, frankly, what's valuable in life and, and how we walk alongside one another. So I, I think the gift to us is before us. And so the way of unwrapping the gift would be to, to invite the very thing Dr. Garrison's talking about in terms of congregational responsivity and inclusivity there. So I, that's one thing I 
I think about. I uh, I see in this in this condition a lot of reflection on our relationship with God. Frankly, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the, the personally with, with the with personally with dementia experiences being unknown to someone that they love, and what it feels like to uh, have someone you cared about for so long but they do not know you or recognize you. And I see a lot of reflection there in one's own faith life. And, and how God must perceive uh, our own forgetting. So I'm just, that's mm-hmm. a large question. <laughs> I think we could, both of us could go on and on. But yes, inclusive congregations and a cure for sure. But I think most importantly, what what's available to all of us if we will engage what we've been given in this opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm, that's so good. Well, I am deeply grateful for the both of you and your hearts for this work and um, just for the ability to know you both and to have watched the good work that you do just unfold. I, I really cannot say enough good about the both of you and how grateful I am for you two being on the show today. Um Well, listener, if you would like to learn a little bit more about the good work that both Dr. Myers and Dr. Garrison are doing, we are going to point, we're going to have some links in the show notes for you to, to learn more about them on their faculty pages. So Dr. Brianna Garrison um, is on Twitter and on Instagram. And so um, you can find her at BV Garrison. Um, And again, we'll have links to that in our show notes. Uh, You can connect with Robert at robert-vore.com or on any social media at Robert Vore. You can connect with me at hollyoxhandler.com or on any social media at hollyoxhandler. To both of you, Dr. Garrison and Dr. Myers, thank you so much for being on the show today. Um, Do either of you have a a brief closing thought that you'd like to offer to our listeners? I guess okay to speak for Dr. Garrison. We both appreciate the fact that you're uh, invested in this kind of communication around all the topics you address, but of course for us for this particular topic because it's in our view so important for our for our communities for our congregations. So thank you for your uh, creating this space for us to to share our voices in this important area. Yes, absolutely. I am just thrilled that we were given space to talk about older adults and dementia and living with dementia and caregivers, it is truly a gift that you are honoring this population and carving out space for individuals to learn about this. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH Podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMH Podcast at gmail.com.